Good news. My new book is almost here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth. And while it doesn't officially come out with Sounds True until May 7th, you can pre-order it now. And when you do, you'll receive up to $500 in additional gifts and resources to support you on your healing journey. I wrote this book because in the four-year span between 2016 and 2020, I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked every area of my life, health, relationships, finances, career, social status, and even my very identity. Along the way, I experienced firsthand just how dysfunctional our culture's relationship to loss really is. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success, shackled with isolation, and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and evolution, not only as individuals, but as a species. So this book expands the conversation around grief and loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we cover those too, to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. This includes the end of a relationship or job, death of a loved one, a natural disaster or a war, infertility, abortion, or a financial crisis. Also, when we're going through hard times, we're encouraged at every turn to hurry up and get on with it. But by trying to power through these messier seasons of life, we're denying ourselves the very answers to our healing and growth. Whether you're experiencing hardship right now, or you know that you have past hurts that are holding you back and still need healing, this book will support you. Handbook for the Heartbroken will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. Within the loving pages of this book, you'll have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically, find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. You can download your free chapter now and pre-order the book to receive all those bonuses at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. That's handbookfortheheartbroken.com. I also want to add that pre-ordering the book now is the very best way that you can support me as an author and the health of this book when it enters the world in May. It signals to booksellers to stock the book at that time and in turn, make it available to more people who need it. So thank you for your pre-orders. Thank you for your support. And I look forward to continuing to deepen together in this important conversation over the coming months. Hello, beautiful women. Welcome to She Talks, a space to come home to your inner wisdom, which I call your she. I'm Sarah Von Stover, teacher of feminine spirituality and empowerment, best-selling author, and founder of The Way of the Happy Woman. I created this podcast to offer wisdom teachings, or Dharma talks as they're known in the Buddhist tradition, through the distinct lens and voice of the sacred feminine. Because I believe that when a woman gets still and quiet enough to hear the voice of the divine within her, she can finally live true to herself and, in turn, inspire others to do the same. Throughout the month of January, I'm offering a special mini-series here on the podcast called Disrupting the Divine Feminine. It includes five cutting-edge talks, 
each offering usually unconsidered and sometimes controversial perspectives to shine a provocative light on the rise of the feminine that we're witnessing so much of in the world right now. And all of these talks are born from the intimate, ongoing relationship I have with my own she. Plus, I created this series in celebration of the opening of the She School, a nine-month spiritual leadership and lifestyle immersion that I've been leading for the past seven years to now thousands of women around the world. The She School promises to connect you to your feminine spiritual power, or your she, so you can birth the life you love and live it powerfully in 2018. It's a sacred space for us to explore in depth the topics that I share on this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about this year's She School journey, head on over to theshe-school.com. Now, my dears, it's time to circle up. Let's huddle together around the crackling bonfire of the wild, awake she. Welcome to Disrupting the Divine Feminine. Welcome home. It's a snowy day here in Boulder, Colorado, and I'm cozy inside with a cup of matcha tea and my dog Sadie, and just settling in for our third episode out of five in this mini-series on Disrupting the Divine Feminine. For those of you who are just joining, each of these talks can stand alone However, you will get a much broader understanding if you listen to them all, especially episode one of this series that really introduces what I mean by disrupting the divine feminine and why I feel it's a really important concept at this time. Throughout all these episodes, I'm taking a contrarian position. I'm really being the devil's advocate Because what I have seen is that there's a watered-down quality present now in spirituality. It's a form of what I'm calling spirituality light. And this is the most dangerous form of spirituality. And I've really seen it also infiltrating and infecting the the realm of feminine spirituality and our explorations in the divine feminine. I feel it's important for us to be aware of this so that we don't get caught in egoic traps and that we stay really close to the bone of truth. We stay really close to the bone of the practices and perspectives that are really going to bring us the things that we're seeking, which are long-term happiness and freedom. And the remembrance that these things are who we are. They, They live inside of us. They're not something that we are ever going to get externally. And in fact, the only way that we're going to get them or see them externally is when we first experience them within ourselves. To emphasize this, I want to start out with a story. I moved to Thailand. I was living in New York, going to a prestigious 
all-women's Ivy League college in New York City, Bernard College. And out of the blue, I got offered a job to go teach at an American-style international school in northern Thailand in Chiang Mai. And I said yes, and I decided to go, and I was teaching at that school, and I was also very very uh, involved in my own healing. One of the reasons why I moved there is because I had the early stages of cervical cancer, cervical dysplasia, which is um, an expression of HPV that a lot of women, especially young women in their early 20s experience. And I went there and really my life transformed and the first, I, I feel like I, things kept coming into my field, into my path, across my path to guide me towards my next steps. And one of the main things that, that came into my field was this pink flyer that my friend Pierre Whitman, a Frenchman who still lives in Chiang Mai, I'm going back to Chiang Mai in February and I'm going to have lunch with him. He's an older man and he's a, he's a healer. He was really one of the first healers that I ever met. He initiated me. I went through all the stages of Reiki training with him, became a Reiki master with him. And he has, he, he might even still distribute it, although now it's probably digital, but it was a pink flyer at the time that was posted at different cafes and yoga centers and things around Chiang Mai that listed healers and healing experiences, healing centers throughout Thailand. And gradually in my first few years there, I think I went through every single thing on that list. I was very, I was just hungry for this information because I never come across it in the States. And one of the first experiences that I dove into was a meditation retreat. And I had been interested in learning how to meditate. I'd been practicing yoga for about four years at that point. I had started yoga in the States and had really taken a liking to it, really, really learned to love it. And But I still didn't know how to meditate. I had tried on my own. I remember I would... I just had no idea how to do it. I remember I would sit with my eyes closed and some of this image of a well would come up and I would just imagine that I was staring at my reflection in a well. And eventually I would just get bored and my feet would fall asleep and I wasn't really sure what I was doing. And so I was really, I was really intrigued when I saw this meditation retreat on Pierre's flyer. And it was at a place called Wat Suan Mok in Surat Thani, Thailand, which is down on the peninsula of Thailand. And Wat Suan Mok translates as the Garden of Liberation. Now, this place is still in operation now. It's it's one of the first centers for foreigners to come and do a Buddhist meditation retreat in Thailand. And they do 10-day silent meditation retreats at least once a month, maybe even twice a month. And so because I was teaching at it at a school, we had great vacations. And so on those in and I didn't really have any living expenses because I was it was a boarding school. So, you know, they covered everything for me. So I just 
I had my salary and it was very affordable to live in Southeast Asia and Bangkok is really the hub of Southeast Asia. So during all of my vacations, I would, I would travel and really, I really got to see all of Asia during that time and all of Thailand. And so during one of those breaks, I, I went down, I actually took the train down as two overnight trains back when I was more adventurous in that way. Now I would just try to take the easiest route, but I was out for it at the time, two overnight trains down to Surat Thani. And I went to Wat Suan Mok and I was checking in. And when I was checking in, they, they said, well, I need to hand over any snacks that I had. And I'm like, those of you who know me, I'm like the snack queen. I always have like snacks in my purse. I just, I, I always travel with my own food. I have, you know, I had, I have, have, have done that, excuse me, since I was, you know, in my teens, uh, because I don't, you know, I don't always like the foods that I come across when I'm traveling. So I just bring my own. So I had to hand over snacks. I had to hand over my books and my journal. And I'm even more attached to my books and my journal than I am to my snacks. Those are like my lifelines. And so I was really shocked. And I, you know, I thought I was going to some sort of, I don't even know what I thought I was going to, but I didn't know I was going to have to get rid of those things. And, and then I learned that it was a silent retreat and somehow I had missed that. I didn't really read. I didn't really research what I was doing. I just felt this calling, like I had to go. And then I learned because it was at a Buddhist monastery, you don't eat after noon. Now, this means that the last meal of the day is at around 1130. And that pretty much you're meditating all day up until around 9 or 10 at night. And then you wake up in the morning at 4 a.m. with the temple bells to meditate. Then after check-in, I learned that you know, I went to the the women's dorm and that we we had individual, they were kind of like cells really in a concrete building and you'd sleep on a concrete slab that was elevated and you had one kind of plastic mat, one blanket, one little moldy pillow, and then a mosquito net around that. And that we would bathe around these big circular wells in a sarong because women couldn't women couldn't be naked, even though we were all together as women, and you with a bucket. So you dip the bucket into the well, and of course it was cold water. And while we were meditating, there were mosquitoes. Mosquitoes would come mostly around dusk time. They would just go crazy. Um eating eating us alive while the instruction was just to sit still and focus on your breath and in short there were so many things there that were uncomfortable and that really challenged me initially but as i continued through the week and started to learn this meditation practice i started to enter a place where what was happening around me didn't matter. It was inconsequential. What was happening inside of me 
was that I was coming to a place of just total peace and acceptance. And through the process of, of subtraction, taking things away from my environment, from my senses, I came to a place of just real profound happiness didn't matter what I ate. It didn't matter where I slept. It didn't matter how many mosquito bites I had. It didn't matter how early I was waking up in the morning. It didn't matter that I hadn't looked in the mirror for a week. I was flying so high, so alive through this process of subtraction. And this is the exact opposite of what we find today and what we find in the majority of the spiritual marketplace. Yet this is what the root of all true spiritual teachings tell us. And one thing that I like to think about with this is the sculptor Michelangelo, the artist Michelangelo carving his famous statue of David. And he said that every block of stone has a statue inside it. And it is the task of the sculpture to of the sculptor to discover it. So he felt he he knew he sensed that David was already inside this block of stone that the divine had already put him there, and it was just Michelangelo's job to carve away um, into letting letting the image of David emerge. So it was it was through the process of subtraction that genius was revealed. Jesus was famous for saying that the kingdom of heaven is is within. It's not through roaming around and, you know, going shopping and getting new outfits and new cars and new homes. And Buddha also taught peace comes from within. Do not seek it without. Now, I'm not saying that wealth and acquisition are are bad, not by any means, but we are getting things backwards. We are getting things backwards because we're addicted to living in a conditional way. We think that something needs to happen outside of us in order for us to feel a certain way within us. So we think that something needs to happen in our lives in order for us to be happy. We think that we need to meet the right person. We need the ring on our finger. We need um, the baby in our womb. We need the home on the beach, that we need the car in the garage, that we need the money in the bank. We think that we need those external things for us to be happy. And this is accentuated because we have been living in a time that has been greatly, greatly influenced by Newtonian physics. And Newtonian physics tell us that physical forces need to be in effect in order to change matter. Or that it takes matter to change matter. So let me explain that that you need to take a pill or medicine in order to treat a disease. That you need to work hard in order to make money. That you need to go out and look at 
many, many different houses on the market before you find the house that you want. Or that you need to go through many, many online dating profiles, go through many dates in order to meet your person. And we're going to get into this more in the in the last episode. But what's a much, much more efficient, empowering way to look at life is through the lens of quantum physics, which uses energy to affect matter. And again, I'm not going to go into that so much in this episode, but really... Really, when, when we stop looking to externals to make us happy, it brings us into a new terrain as, as women. And the way of the happy woman, from its inception, has always been about tapping into the wellspring within. And really, its inception was, was through me back in that 20-year-old self and discovering, you know, I was on such a journey to find happiness. I moved to the other side of the world in that meditation retreat. I realized like, wow, everything, everything is here. Everything has always been here. I just need to strip things away and have the courage to sit with myself. And then I had everything that I needed. I was unconditional, unconditionally happy. And from this perspective, we know that joy is really the greatest marker of success. And when we can generate joy inside of us, regardless of what's happening around us, that is the ultimate wealth. That And that is the ultimate practice. How can you get to that place, that free, high-flying feeling every day when you wake up, regardless of anything or anyone? And it is possible. It is possible. Now, I want to return again to the field of the divine feminine as it's unfolding right now. And there are so many beautiful things about that, about it. And again, I feel like what I'm being guided to do right now is to take the role of the contrarian. And from that role, something that I'm seeing is that we have become obsessed with rituals to the point that we have made rituals our new rules. And in this way, we are still staying inside a prison, a prison of not realizing that we are the source of our experience, not realizing that we are the creators of our realities, not realizing that the divine that we're seeking is inside of us. And I know that we've heard these words a lot before. And I'm inviting you today to hear them in a new way and to take that truth on in your life in a new way. So the rules that, the quote unquote rules that we were collectively turning away from through embracing the divine feminine were these rules that, you know, we need to work twice as hard as a man to make half as much money as women, that we, we need to, to just bend over backwards to prove ourselves, to prove that we're lovable, to prove that we're good enough, that we need to rely on our 
appearance in order to get by in life. So many of these different rules that we needed to ignore our bodies, ignore our cycles in order to be taken seriously, that they were a nuisance, that we needed to eradicate them through different forms of birth control because they're a nuisance. And then here come all these rituals and just, you know, spend a few moments on Facebook or on Instagram or, you know, looking through a yoga magazine and there are all these rituals for the lunar cycles. There's been a huge rise in, in following of astrology, a huge trend in that, which again is beautiful. I love astrology, but I'm going to point this back to a bigger picture. Um, this rise in, you know, I go to yoga studios and it's like, buy this crystal to do this for you and this crystal to do that for you and wear this mala to achieve this thing and that mala to achieve that thing or recite this mantra to bring in money or this mantra to get rid of anger and do this on this day of your cycle and do that on that day of your cycle and you know I was really into all this at one point too you know I (laughs) wrote about I wrote about a lot of this in you know my both of my books, The Way the Happy Woman and the Book of She. I taught about it in I Heart My Moon Cycle and Reversing Our Curse when those first debuted back in 2013. And you know, I was just over the moon in love with these things, especially moon cycles and menstrual cycles. And I think that at a certain stage of development and healing for us women, that it's necessary. But it's not, it's necessary if we've been completely ignoring them and just not really understanding our connection to nature and to the cosmos and to our bodies. But stopping here is not the end point. It's not the end point. Ultimately, we need to evolve beyond this. And I need to be clear about that because I haven't said it before and I don't hear others saying that either. And I mean, one example is I was invited, I was recently invited to be one of the guest speakers in an online summit, like a tele tele summit. And one of the things that that these women said, beautiful women, beautiful summit, but they said that they couldn't confirm the dates yet because they they wanted to confirm when their cycles were going to be before they confirmed that. And you know, it's, it's really beautiful that that's being taken into consideration. And at the same time, it's, you know, there's, there's more than, there's more than that. Okay. Yes. We need to listen to our bodies. Yes. We need to honor our cycles and not ignore them, but There's a way that once you know the rules, then you can break them. There's a way that we can be so in tune with our bodies, so in tune with nature, so in tune with the cosmos, that we can do anything at any time, and it's not going to be detrimental to us. It's about the connection that we have and the intention that we hold. Is the intention non-harming? Is the intention connection? Do you actually feel that connection through your body so that when you're bleeding, you could stand up and give a talk to thousands or you could lead a telesummit or you could even go run five miles 
It's about where are you in relationship to yourself? That That's the most important thing. Where are you in relationship to yourself? Are you checked in or are you checked out? And we can still follow these rituals and be checked out. We can still say, oh, I'm on my cycle today, so I can't do this telesummit and still not really be be there for ourselves, not really be inhabiting ourselves. We put so much emphasis on the ritual that we're not focusing on the actual source of transformation or the source of connection, the source of life, which is within us. And here in this community, we call it your she. Your she is is source energy, and we're all extensions of source energy. Other words for this are God, the divine, the universe. And like Michelangelo, it's not a matter of adding. So it's not a matter of taking a slab of stone and, um, you know, gluing things onto it. It's a matter of of chiseling away, of subtracting in order to discover what's already here. Now, yes, rituals provide a container for transformation to occur. It's a they provide a a structure in which the human and the divine can meet for a conscious rendezvous. And I you know, I perform simple rituals on my own and in with others and encourage those for others as well. But ultimately the container is you and the real ritual is, is practice the practice of sitting down, getting still, getting quiet and being with yourself. The ultimate practice is meditation. Meditation is the practice of subtraction and You're not in meditation when you're just sitting on your cushion thinking about what you're going to eat for breakfast. That's that's a stage of it, yes. But meditation is really when you can get past your analytical mind. And in order to do that, you need a method and you need persistence. You need to do it every day. And you need times of immersion like a retreat where you really subtract. You really subtract all the stimulation in your environment in order for you know more of those the pieces of stone around you to shed so that who you really are this david within you can emerge but here's the thing is as human beings we we're we're tricky we want something so much we want happiness so much we want connection so much at the heart of everything that we do, it's to seek connection. Yet we like to procrastinate. We like to take roundabout routes to avoid this connection. We're actually afraid of this intimacy with ourselves. So we think, oh, well, I need to get the right meditation cushion. I need to get these new cool Lululemon pants. I need to get this rose quartz mala. Oh, I need to Instagram my practice space. I need to share an Insta story about how to sit when you're meditating. (laughs) So those are just static and distractions for actually doing the practice and making 
real sustained connection with yourself. Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche was a Tibetan Buddhist master who was really attributed to bringing Tibetan Buddhism to the West. And he settled here in Boulder, Colorado, and gave birth to what is now known as the Shambhala lineage. And he gave a series of talks called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. And these talks were also made into a book. It's a really great book. I highly recommend it. And he here's how he defined spiritual materialism. He said, walking the spiritual path properly is a very subtle process. It is not something to jump into naively. There are numerous sidetracks which lead to a distorted, ego-centered version of spirituality. We can deceive ourselves into thinking we are developing spiritually when instead we are strengthening our egocentricity through spiritual techniques. This fundamental distortion may be referred to as spiritual materialism. End quote. While it's wonderful that there are just so many accoutrements to our spiritual practice, again, these, as Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche is saying, these can become a means through which we strengthen our egocentricity through spiritual techniques. So maybe it's not through um, amassing other sorts of material gain in order for us to feel superior or better about ourselves, but it's even more tricky and more slippery because it's using spiritual um, spiritual material to do that. And it, when that happens, we're walking a really slippery slope and we need to be we need to be careful and we need to have periods of reflection where we stop and look at what am I actually doing here? Am I just following the masses because I want to fit in? Just like I was doing in other circles that maybe weren't as healthy, but they were still leaving me in a place of not feeling good about myself, ultimately not feeling connected to myself, ultimately feeling inferior. Spiritual materialism has become really rampant in the world and in this field of the quote-unquote divine feminine. To highlight that more, I want to, I want to read another quote from, from Rinpoche. He said, According to the Buddhist tradition, the spiritual path is the process of cutting through our confusion, of uncovering the awakened state of mind. So it is not a matter of building up the awakened state of mind, but rather of burning out the confusions which obstruct it. In the process of burning out these confusions, we discover enlightenment. If this process were otherwise, the awakened state of mind would be a product dependent upon cause and effect and therefore liable to dissolution. Anything which is created must sooner or later die. If enlightenment were created in such a way, there would always be the possibility of ego reasserting itself, 
causing a return to the confused state. Enlightenment is permanent because we have not produced it. We have merely discovered it. In the Buddhist tradition, the analogy of the sun appearing behind the clouds is often used to explain the discovery of enlightenment. In the meditation practice, we clear away the confusion of ego in order to glimpse the awakened state. Now, okay, this analogy of the sun appearing from behind the clouds is burning away. This points us back to episode one in the series of Daenerys Targaryen in Game of Thrones stepping into the fire and having that burn away, it burned away her clothes, it burned away the identity of who she, you know, who she thought she was, a, a victim, a woman who didn't really know how, know her power, know how to access her power, know how to use her power. And she stepped into that fire and the fire burned away her old identity. And so when the fire died out, what remained were ashes and and her naked self with the the hatched dragons, which are really the essence of who she is. They're, They're her power. They're her primordial power, her wild wisdom, her wild power. And my 21-year-old self at that meditation retreat, she didn't need her snacks. She didn't need her book. She didn't need her journal in order to be healthy, in order to be connected to herself, in order to cultivate wisdom. She just needed to subtract all those things. She didn't need to eat dinner. She didn't need a comfy bed. She didn't need air conditioning or mosquito repellent. (laughs) She just needed to to be with herself in order to know herself. And then she, she could be free. She, she could discover for herself that she could really do anything that she wanted, that she was at the top of the world. Practice does this. Practice if it is a true practice, it will change you. It will, it will show you your wings that are, that are already there, just like David already exists inside the stone. They're already there. So practice isn't fancy. I'm sorry to say. It doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles. It's just sitting down and getting still and getting quiet and connecting with the source within you, whether that's through your breath, the way that I teach, the way that I practice starts with awareness of breath, starts with the convergent focus and Buddhism is called shamatha and then moves into a divergent focus when the mind is, is really still and concentrated. That's called vipassana, just awareness of the moment. And this clears away the clouds. It reveals to you who you already are. And from that place, you you know you are already whole, perfect, and complete. Joy is arising spontaneously in you because that is who you are. That is who you are. And you don't need to Instagram it. You don't need, you know, you don't need a, a crystal to take you there. It's it's you. 
It's you. So my call, my cry for all of us is stop going through the motions. Stop acquiring more things. Stop mimicking others. And be willing to get uncomfortable. Be willing to face the discomfort in your body, um, the fidgetiness, the impatience, that comes from just sitting still with ourselves. Acknowledge how much you don't want to face yourself. And acknowledge that staying distracted is a form of suffering. And in this way, you know, the thing, the thing that is uncomfortable is actually the medicine. The poison is the medicine. Turning within is the only answer. Don't let rituals distract you, however evolved or helpful they may seem. What can you subtract? The elegant solution is through subtraction. At the end of the day, fancy rituals are just another form of rules dressed up. And you're just, you're just finding comfort in pretending to follow the path. So ask yourself, is, is your quote-unquote morning routine that has become so popular, is that really working for you? Or are you just doing that because you feel like you need to? Is, is your meditation practice really working for you? Are you even doing your meditation practice? Do you, do you know how to meditate? Do you know how to sit still with yourself and be with yourself? Do you know how to get past the constant chatter of your analytical mind? We have to get through the analytical mind in order for us to really change. So make sure that you have a practice. Make sure that you have a reliable source for evolving in that practice. Make sure that you're committing to it daily, come hell or high water. Again, the only ritual to concern yourself with is sitting down, getting still and quiet, and being with the source of you and the source of all of life, which is your she. That source is unlimited. That source is omnipotent. It's going to beat. It's going to pulse. It's going to be here regardless of what is happening with the moon. It is, it is what created the moon. Regardless of what is going on with your cycles, it is the source of your cycles. So if, if the rituals that you are engaging in aren't transforming you, leaving you to feel like the sun emerging from behind the clouds, then question that ritual. You might just be practicing a form of spiritual materialism that will only bring you short-term entertainment followed by long-term suffering. It's far better to simplify, get to the heart of things, Learn to be with yourself in a genuine, unconditional way, because that is the only path to long-term happiness. That is the only way to get what you really want out of life, what any of us really want out of life. And I need to say this today because I don't feel like we're hearing it enough. All right, so I invite you to join me in the next episode in a few days where I'll be talking more about building and cultivating a solid meditation practice 
that really just simple bare bones ritual to bring you directly in contact with the source within you that is the sun emerging from behind the clouds. All right, until then, take a hard, close look at your life and see what you can subtract. Thank you for carving out this time for yourself. If you're longing to live these teachings in your daily life, come on over to The She School at theshe-school.com. You'll get to read about our nine-month curriculum and how we structure the course through monthly classes and Q&As with me, she yoga and meditation videos, guest teacher interviews, and so much more. Remember, registration is only open once a year, which is right now. And our nine-month journey starts on February 1st. It will be an honor to support you in stepping into your strength, wisdom, and greatness in the year ahead. And if you enjoyed this talk, I and the women in your world who need it would be so grateful if you shared it with them. And better yet, if you leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support. Thank you so much for being part of our sisterhood.